हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब Born in India, brought up in New York, Barkha Patel is a Kathak dancer, choreographer, educator and the artistic director of Barkha Dance Company. She has trained in Kathak both in India and New Jersey for over 2 decades with renowned Kathak maestros and has a masters in performing arts from the Kalidasa Sanskrit University. A touring artist, Barkha has performed at dance festivals in India to the US. Barkha recently created an ensemble work called Mukta. a woman liberated which was in residency at the center for flamenco arts and has presented at numerous festivals in nyc she has been nationally recognized for her work she completed a choreographics fellowship with the ngpac received a 2020 fellow with the nj council on the arts and is the dance/usa institute for leadership mentee barkha was recently announced as a 2021 forge consultancy fellow Barkha teaches young and adult students from all over the United States. Acknowledging the lack of community for Kathak dancers in NYC, Barkha co-founded a Kathak meetup group. The meetup started in January 2020 as an inclusive space for Kathak dancers to practice and discuss crucial topics to the art form. So Barkha ji, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And just to start off with wanted to know what Are you currently working on when it comes to Kathak? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I kind of look at my artistic practice in a very, I guess, it's a multi-layered practice as we know. But uh, specifically for myself, I like to look at my work as like, you know, the nirtya aspect and then the nirtya aspect and the storytelling. So um, I'm kind of split between the two right now. I have my main kathak practice where i'm you know working on my tal different tals and developing those and de- developing the repertoire in like basant tal teen tal um ek tal etc and then on the other side my storytelling side and the natya natya side almost um gosh there's been a lot going on um i'm working i worked on i'm working on a collaboration with a visual artist named Shreya Mehta we just actually went into residency um early in September very safely um where we were exploring um the elements and the elemental nature of ourselves as humans and how do we kind of represent that through our art form so she's a painter so she was painting works based off of my dance and i was also then creating dances based off of some of the works she made so that's one project uh then there's a project called padyatra which was an experience that i had when i went to india we did a seven day pilgrimage and it's based off of this experience of what i visually saw a community doing um to another community uh which i can get into more later and i am also working i had a group ensemble work called mukta a woman liberated which is currently on pause um 
but we I was working on that for a really long time before the pandemic hit and we had presented it last year as well. We were supposed to premiere actually this year in June, but that is on hold right now and I am also working on a new solo uh based on this 14th century poet which I don't want to reveal too much because it's under research and I just want to keep, you know, delving into that process. Sounds good. So based on the three you told me, I'd like to delve more into Padhyatra. Could you tell us about the two communities and what was going on there that inspired yes, us? Sure, absolutely. So um, after uh, I got married, uh, my father did this for all of his, all of us, like me and my two other sisters, um, where we go on a pilgrimage for seven days to the temple of a goddess. Um, for my elder sister, we went to our Kuldevi temple, Kodiyarmata. And then um, for mine, I actually chose to go to the Bhocharamata temple. Uh, Bhocharamata is the goddess that is central to the Hijra or the transgender community. Um, I weirdly had some connection. I don't, I, I don't know what it is, if it's a divine connection or whatnot, but I just was in, like very intrigued by wanting to go there. So we did a seven day walk where we, um, we take, we took about 250 people from our community in Gujarat and we walked from my hometown all the way to the temple. So it took seven days as I shared, and we would walk Subhay like in the morning from like 7am. No, sorry. From 3am to about 7am, basically till the sun before the sun came out. So, um, we wouldn't die in the scorching heat. And then there would be stops where then we would take rest. Um, my dad would have tents set up. So there was like two big trucks that would keep, that would close up shop in one place to set up at the next place while one was already set up for where we were supposed to pause for that day. So um, as we were doing this pilgrimage, you know, I, just the curious mind is always asking, you know, I was asking a lot of questions about Bhojar um, you know, what is her significance beyond being the central figure to the Hijra community, though that is the most important. But um, something that was beautiful that I learned while I was on the trip was um, we sing something called the Anand no Garbo, which it's not a Garbo, a Garba or a Garbo type of song that we typically hear when we are dancing, when we're celebrating Navratri or the goddess in general. But this Garbo is actually a Vani or an invocation to the goddess and the singer, the, the poet who actually wrote the Anand Nugarbo is uh, Vallabh Bhatt. And Vallabh Bhatt was known to be someone who actually couldn't, um, he couldn't speak. He was, we say now, um, he was like, he had a muk, meaning he couldn't even speak properly. So can you imagine how back then someone couldn't speak and he's written a whole Varni on the goddess. So, of course, there's this divine presence that comes in front of him. And it's that goddess Bhochra who pulls this out of him, um, regardless of whether he's able to speak or not correctly otherwise. So being inspired by this story. And then, of course, once I got to the temple, what I saw between the two communities was this um and it's important to know who mataji who bochra mata is her significance and then what i experienced so while learning so much about her and how accepting she is as a goddess as a mother of all of her devotees right she's she's a mother she doesn't uh, customize uh, her children her devotees so they're um as 
and this was my first experience ever to, at this temple, but there's a huge community, of course, of hijras that gather at the temple who actually work for the temple, who volunteer for the temple, and also who come and visit the temple. So um, at one point after we did our darshan and puja and everything, um, there were several hijras around. And, you know, at that point, uh, a family member said, you know, you should go and give an offering and take blessings. So I went ahead and I did that. And then as soon as I was getting into conversation a little bit more and they were asking me questions, of course, because I guess I looked pretty Westernized in that sense to them. Um, where are you from? Why did you do this yatra? Um, you know, a, a bunch of other community members pulled me away and they said, don't talk too much to them. And I was like, why? And of course, you know, they're fearful. There's preconceived notions. There's this understanding of the hijra community that if you say something incorrect, then they'll curse you or they'll give you a, a bad blessing and they have the boon from the goddess. So the experience in that was extremely like, it was confusing, but it was also like, huh? Like on one side, we want blessings from these ambassadors as such of the goddess. But at the same time, we want to shun the community. And then that led me kind of into this deep dive of like, you know, why do we actually treat this community this way? What is the fear? And then who also gave us the power as cisgendered people to decide that, you know, this is how we are going to treat this community. And as I learned more, of course, like the hijra community doesn't get the support that they require and they should from the government in general because they are so-called different from the majority of, you know, of the communities in India. So they're unable to work. They're unable to get medical care. They're unable to get like proper employment. Like they're all intelligent people um, who have made a personal choice and that personal and for that personal choice, um, they are being treated in this way. And this is something we deal with in the West a lot. And of course, this has been going on for ages in India. So though Padyatra right now is just this one 10 minute piece of my experience, I hope that, you know, as I'm researching and learning and also kind of diving into the community within India and speaking to those who've had and of their experiences, like transgenders of their experience, um, what I want to actually look at and hopefully bring out in the work eventually is this understanding of the history of this community. That if we look to the Mahabharat, right, um, we have uh, Arjun who for a year has to actually dress up like as Brhinnalala and Brhinnala and hide. Of course, that is a completely different concept where he is dressed up. He's not necessarily changing his gender because that's what he feels he wants to do and needs to do personally. But we see that in history. We also see um, in the Ramayan, there's a point where Ram, at least in one version, Ram says, I, you know, all the men and women don't wait for me here. Please go home. When he comes back after exile, there's a group of people who never moved from there. And he said that I thought I said all the men and women, they said, but we are neither men nor women. We are, you know, we consider ourselves uh, completely separate from this. So there's this interesting concept of gender that has been seen throughout history, but then what shifted the mind of the of of the of society in general? Like, was it the influence of the British? I mean, some of the reading I'm doing, it's like the British did put in a lot of the laws where where hijras 
transgenders were not allowed to have children. Children that they were adopting or taking care of were taken away from them. Um, so eventually I hope to see this work expand into like this time looking into the history of this community and this questioning of who gave the power over to one community over the other. So that's Padhyatra in a nutshell, <laughs> a big nutshell. Great job on just like, in, yeah, just narrating that whole story. That's amazing. Because you start off with, I went on a pilgrimage and then you add more and more layers to it and so much context. That was very well done. Um, so now that we have the context for Padhyatra, so the next question that I, that comes to mind is now you have the you have this experience you have that uh, you, and now you've read into what happened there how does that translate into dance what are the next steps <laughs> that's a great question this is what is the toughest thing i i feel for me um oftentimes as kathak dancers and my training of course has been you know, the traditional training is, you know, we tell a story, we tell the story from the perspective of that character. Um, so if we're doing like a Radha Krishna Tumri, we either decide like I've become Radha, then I become Krishna. And we're often depicting characters we've actually never met. Um, and we're assuming their experience. So as I was creating Padhyatra, the actual initial step was that I would share the experience of a transgender or what that person might be feeling. Because we take so much liberty in, in Radha and Krishna that I was just, I felt, you know, that very traditional mindset is like, huh, I can also do this. But of course, over time, getting feedback from colleagues and also seniors and elders who are looking at the, who do now look at dance as not just, you know, telling the stories of gods and goddesses, but actually this, embodiment of an experience of feeling and emotion um and i can no longer then i recognize that you know i cannot become um the, the character of a transgender because i myself am not one and i cannot just assume that this is what one feels because i've not experienced it naturally so this is something that i'm thinking about more which is why i've taken a pause on the project and i'm just diving into research like how do i want to tell this story like if I want to show an experience of of this person or the history of them throughout. You know, how do I take that? Do I who do I Barka actually become in the process of creating the work is what I'm thinking about. I don't think in this work I deem it appropriate for me to be um, anyone but myself who's either observing or who is then depicting a specific type of. Uh, story. I know it sounds a little convoluted and I'm still like, you know, thinking it's more. not convoluted. I think uh, especially like in 2020 where we're talking about transgender roles being played, at least in Hollywood, they're talking about transgender roles being played by transgender actors. I think that way it makes sense. I think you're kind of applying the same principles. Yeah, so. absolutely. Thank you. I, I, and that is something, you know, to be very honest, like, I, I had to learn that. I wasn't aware of that. I was ext being extremely like, oh, this is about my experience. And um, so another layer to this actually um, is that, okay, you know, how do I, so I'll create a work. And this is something a friend helped me recognize. Like, sure, I create a work. I 
make it about this community and looking into them. But how does this work actually then benefit that community? So I'm shedding light. So it's a great topic. It's never been done in dance. We've not seen someone do it. If they do it, it's from that perspective of, oh, mythological story I'm sharing. Um, so a big part of this, hopefully, and that's why I'm taking my time. I don't want to rush into anything as I was earlier. Um, I want to find a way to better understand and then also better advocate advocate for the community. And what does that advocacy look like? I'm not 100% sure. But recently, I did come into um, connection very recent, like literally almost two days ago. I came into connection through one of my gurus um, with a young boy who is deciding that he is no longer, he wants to change his gender and he no longer wants to be who he is and is he has decided that I will now be this person instead. And um, I don't want to reveal names, of course, at this time for privacy, but he's deeply struggling financially. He's actually, she now, she's been, um, you know, asked to leave her home, which is very common. And she comes from a very poor background. So as I learn more of her story um, and understand who she is and what her journey has been thus far, she's quite young. Uh, and my heart just goes out, get, you know, like just for who you want to be, this is happening to you. And, you know, I know that feeling in, in another way, of course, right? So um, I'm hoping to build advocacy, support, and also an understanding and a, a sharing of that story of, of an experience of her or that or that community in general should come from that community. What my role will play is, I don't know, almost maybe like I'm just the facilitator. Um, you know, I'm just the I'm just a vessel through which the story will take light, I believe, but still working through this whole process. Understood. And when it comes to like the grammar of Kathak, hmm. uh, so as as of now where Kathak stands with how it's presented and portrayed and studied, hmm. is it accommodating to, tra- to transgender people or will it need to evolve with it? I, you know, I, I don't know if I can fully answer that question mm-hmm. um, in in a very clear cut way. I think that there's a lot of work the community in general needs to do with understanding uh, male body versus female body. I think there's this understanding only this looks good on a male body and only this looks good on a female body. But we have been seeing for a long time that we've seen like we've seen. At, first of all, my I think there's a lot of learning in general and acceptance and growth that the community around the world potentially needs to continue to have. If we are artists and we're people who are creating works that allow other people into a journey of this alternative universe you're creating, then that, and I hope that that alternative universe has space for everyone, no matter what their personal choices are and who they decide to be and become. When it comes to the actual physicality of it, I think that should be left, that should be a complete choice. Um, Yes, again, like always it should be a choice of how you decide you want to implement your vessel, your body um, to present something. I know the traditional thought is this should look this way, this should look that way. And yes, it should be aesthetically pleasing as that is a big part of the artwork. But oftentimes, that choice is up to the person. And I think there needs to be this allowance of understanding why that choice was made. I think that's the most I can say on this. Um, Abhi, 
for now. Um, and as I learn more, as I know more, the years go, I think I'll have more of a clear understanding of this. Uh, so then that brings me to my next question, Barkhadi. So since you're kind of learning and absorbing at such a rapid pace and you also have your teaching practice. Yes. How does that work in the sense that you, uh, firstly, could you tell us a little bit about your teaching practice and then I'll ask you the question. Yes, absolutely. I, um, I love this question. I actually, um, teaching was very hard for me at first because I always felt like I was giving away my time to, um, to potential students who might not be actually interested in the depth that I want to go into or that I am going into. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And very, this is a very vulnerable thought and sharing. Um, and honestly, over time, I started recognizing, you know, if I removed myself, which is what I often try to do in most situations, if I can remove myself, the I, the I, the me, the my, um, which most of my works are also always trying to do in a way. Um, there's something really special that you can offer. Um, and there's also, in turn, the more you give, the more you end up getting, which has been like the wildest understanding. The more vidya or knowledge you're spreading, the more it's going to come back to you. So when that when that realization happened, of course, my mother would always push that. My gurus would always push that thought process as well. Give, give, give. It's always going to come back tenfold. I didn't understand it until I created that switch in my head. Okay, okay I'm just going to give. And when I started giving, I started giving it more as a philosophy of life versus like, here's this tal, here's this tukra, here's this paran, take it, run, go, do it 10 times, do it faster. Yes, of course, that technicality push is always going to be there. I, I try to have as high standards as my gurus had kept for me, for my students as well, um, with a very loving awareness and kindness in that approach, but also pushing, you know. But I try to teach anything I teach as a philosophy that if, and it's funny because I was just in class with uh, Divyang Guruji, Pandit Divyang Vakil, and Guruji himself was just sharing something and he shares this all the time. And it just, when that reminder keeps happening from your own guru, you're also like, man, like I have such a good example of what a guru is in front of me that I need to then step into that. I'm not a guru. I don't call myself a guru, but I, I want to imbibe whatever I can in that sense, the goodness of whatever my great gurus have been to me. So he's, if you teach from your heart, if you give from your heart, and if you then accept as a student the teachings from your heart versus your mind, that learning will stick onto you like tenfold. Um, and I almost tell my students all the time, like, I want you to think of Kathak as a, like I said, a way of life, right? Okay. Search for that rhythm. You're just walking. Then your lehra should be on within you. Like walk in the pace of that lehra. Dha. Then in that lay, whatever lay you choose, if you decide to run, then say that as you're running on the treadmill, like, why can't there be a silent, like, take a inside going on, right? And um, this is something I learned the hard way. I wasn't taught this way. So, and I don't think it's impossible to gain, but if you give your student that reminder and that, that just, yeah, this is so much fun. Like, this is a way of life. Like, let's just enjoy it this way and not create the pressure that is how I like to teach. And I, I kid you not, I think like even though we've been teaching via Zoom in this pandemic, I think even new students who have joined who have never learned 
who are literally somewhere in Seattle, Houston, wherever, they're like, we just never expect a lot of them and bada bolne, like I'm not trying to like boast or anything, but I myself am always scared. Like, am I doing enough? Am I giving enough? Am I teaching properly? Are they getting it? Are they grasping? But mm -hmm. when a lot of them are sharing and saying like, wow, like I leave like so enthusiastic and you see their ung and you see their body changing and moving in a certain way that you, you know, you want to see it move. Um, and, and you've been learned how to move that body that way. You're just like, yes, like something is happening here. And I'm like, mm -hmm. just vibrating in a great place. So again, just to reiterate, I guess I love teaching it in a very, I love teaching Kathak in a very practical way and in a non-scary way, because I think oftentimes a lot of students come scared when they don't know something that I can't ask. And I'm like, mm -hmm. ask me, because if I don't know, then I still have my guru above me sitting with me, who's constantly pushing me, training me that I can always refer back to. And I have no fear in saying, okay, I'm not sure of this. Let me double check. And so there's this very like open openness that I try to keep. I hope my students all feel that way. Um, but I, I try to keep that just very chill, calm demeanor that also then brings the practicality. Like, okay, how can you think of this ang this way? Like if it's not coming in your body, then can you think of it this way? Like when you're doing something in Bedam, can you imagine it as like two people trying to jump off of a of a swimming dash a dive board like it's kind of like that's how the bowls are jumping off like can you think of so kind of giving these visual ideas to them as well because we're also learning via zoom how can i give more um of these ideas to them where it's like oh yeah she said this it was kind of weird it didn't like it was a weird example but it stuck to me and that has been working with all of my students, I think. Interesting. Okay, now that I have an idea, I guess. So my question was going is going to be like, so in, when it comes to Kathak, there's the stuff you know for sure, and you can impart that easily. And there's all this new stuff that's, that you're learning at a rapid pace. So how do you figure out what to teach them and what not to as you're, as you're learning as well? Sure, that's great. Um, that's a great question. So... Obviously, I have my own curriculum and syllabus that I've created that I, I would that I like I go through with all the students in this order. What happens oftentimes is that I won't give all the layers to that concept just yet because it's just then too much. And then we get stuck in one place for too long. So following a curriculum that I've set up that I think is appropriate, um, that's been working for me and the students that come to learn um, I kind of give like layer one on the material. And then as they grow and they continue to stay, I have one class that's now been with me for about almost two years, I think. Um, and we're revisiting old comp like compositions they've learned, you know, in the past. And we keep revising, reviewing them. So it, again, as soon as they want to present it, it's it's hazard. It's hazard. It's there for them, for them to. And we call them. We like to call them pocket todas. Where like, if you put your hand in your pocket, it should come out immediately. Um, and there's no like, uh, I'm not sure what this is. I forgot. Like that shouldn't happen, right? Of course, it's it's your material. You should be as comfortable with it, especially when you're young and learning in Kathak. Um, so as so with them, what I've recognized is that you know. As I've also gained clear understanding, I can then go back. When, when we revisit things, I'm like, remember when this was like this? Okay, at that level, this much understanding was enough. Because you have more understanding and you've been in this longer and you're diving deeper, here's another layer you can add. 
Here's another layer you can add. Here's another understanding you can add to the same composition. Because in that moment, when you give everything at once, it's like, oh my God. It's like you're trying to eat, um, you're preparing for a pancake comp- eating pancake eating competition and you know, you can't eat 20 pancakes in one sitting. You have to build up the practice. So it's the same concept. I like to look at it here. It's like we've worked on a paran or an amad. There's one concept here. And and as I'm also gaining clarity and I'm like, oh, I should share this with them. Like I have now extreme clear clarity on this. I can break this down for them in this way where they'll even better understand it um, and then, you know, layer it. So I kind of like to look at it as like this onion that we're constantly like each pattern or composition or movement is this onion that we're constantly, constantly peeling layers off or adding layers onto for that matter. Okay. And just on a side note, have you done a pancake eating competition? Because that's like really <laughs> specific information. No, no, not at all. But okay. again, like I said, like I like to give these understanding, like, you know, to all my students, I like to give hmm. them understanding. You know, instead of the very obscure Indian, sometimes the very cultural way of explaining something, I like to give something hmm. very, very practical. Where I you start, you know, sit and do all of this in one shot. It takes mm-hmm. you okay. years of build up. Understood, and okay, and come and since it, and one thing I want to ask you is when it comes to say, since you talk a little bit about spirituality, I'd love to know about your what your riyas looks like, and what what you typically do in one, and what are your rituals in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my riyas typically looks like it starts with me warming up, working out. Um, I, I'm huge on working out because I think or just strengthening in the body and complementing the riyas with strengthening other parts because that will honestly push your riyas to another level, I, I believe. Um, but my riyas typically looks like I make a decision, like what do I want to practice? Like oftentimes I've seen myself go in where I just tie my gungurus and I've decided, okay, Aj, I'm only going to do like practice for the next however long I want. Um, and it's a minimum of like, 25 minutes of just that. Um, or I decide, okay, okay I want to do my kram lay practice. That's all I'm going to do. So at least each lay or like tigun chogun will be done for at least like 50 avartans or something, right? And sometimes I lose count, of course, but just to get that sound and that like mind, almost like mindful, but mindless riyas is what I consider riyas. And then from there, I probably take one toda or one paran if I decide and just kind of work on that. And, you know, what is it that I'm seeking in this? What can I do better? Record myself, watch it. Okay, this hand didn't extend. Okay, do it again, do it again, which I'm sure is something that all dancers themselves are doing. Um, Then I decide, of course, you know, like I think Riaz doesn't look the same every day. Um, There's a decision I have to make. Okay, if I am doing just this way then I will only then I want to give time to doing like an item kiriyas or just like practicing or continuing or furthering a composition or a dance piece that I'm working on so riyaz looks different at each point I think for me each day it just but something that I've learned for sure is that you have to be very conscious about what your riyaz should be and this is something I learned from listening to uh He's a Bharatanatyam dancer in Mumbai, in Bombay. And um, it makes sense. Like if you go in with the intention, with that mindfulness, which is what spirituality in general is, it's being extremely mindful and aware 
or like awake oriented and aware right of what's going on so i try to dive into it that way okay that's really interesting because uh like the when you said 50 hours then i guess i've been doing kathak for a year Hmm. and just doing 50 hour tents is daunting i kind of no power to like 5 to 10 minutes right now when it comes to like one lay but okay. it's better no but it's it's a, again it's that pancake eating competition you've got hmm. to do like 16 hour tents and then or whatever do yeah do 16 then the following week okay i'm going to attempt 32 at this lay then i'm going to do these so you know uh, and that's how i built my riyas up when i was younger so now it's just stuck right like that's how my dance guru rachna sarangji taught me to do my riyas and i also went to delhi to train for uh, about a month or less with uh, pandit rajendra gangani ji at um, kathak kendra so they would also do riyas that way where maybe not necessarily okay i'm counting 50 but um you know i just picked a number okay 50 avartans takes however many minutes i'm going to do that for each lay so that ends up being a full almost hour if not you know or less probably but yeah okay and since you're talking about <clears throat> riyas and the physicality of it uh, one uh, one thing when i was speaking to tarika she touched upon is that she she was kind of inspired by you to take a physical therapy and just take care of yourself and i know that's kind of big for you can you tell us a little bit about like how physical if physical therapy and warm up and what's that played a life in yours when it comes to injury prevention yeah yeah absolutely um i would like to just say that i think when we dance oftentimes um in the indian classical tradition the way i was brought up i was not brought up with the concept of taking care of the body through doing warm up riyas warm up before your riyas warm down and because of not doing that i had formed some injuries and of course you know i'm a grown up adult and i could have been aware but just culturally when we think about it like we are not taught to really though yoga yoga and the practice of yoga comes from the indian tradition like we we just don't do that like i i come from like a family where we just don't really take care of our bodies and even my extended family we don't think about prioritizing your body as an actual temple um we'll go to a temple but we won't treat our bodies as one um of course our bodies temporary but it is the vessel that we use to do the good kriya and work in in society so how can you not take care of that first so i've had a long journey with understanding this um taking care of my body came really from taking care of my mental health and um I recognize that when one goes the other goes when the other goes one goes but if one can support the other it it works wonders like if your mental health is strong then your body will automatically stay strong if your body's strong then your mental health game is also really strong of course it's life we're going to have ebbs and flows but I have seen probably over like 6 to 7 um physical therapists so far and Yes, oftentimes I'm not complying to a lot of the things they're offering because I would also feel like that the the teaching that I was getting from a lot of them was not ample or relevant to my form. Um diving a little deeper into that what I mean is like I wanted support for some from a physical therapist who could understand like what does my what does it take for my body to do a chakra? What does what level of hardship does my neck and spine 
entail, like take on? What does my lower core do? Like what, what are the injuries that I'm going to get because I'm doing these checkers? Okay. Then what about like when I keep opening and closing my arms? What's the injury prevention for that? What muscles are involved in that? We have absolutely no knowledge. And I've come across maybe one friend who's doing this work. um, And I've worked with her a bit and not extensively. And I hope to dive into more work with her to help other dancers, hopefully. But in the meantime, I've just decided uh, that I need to do two things. I need to do what works best for me. Um, I need to just go into my body because it's my body and decide, okay, where do I feel that I'm weak? Um, How do I know that I'm weak there? Uh, I just sit with my body and I ask myself these questions. And then I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Then I also do a lot of external research. I look at what ballerinas are doing. How are they training? I mean, there's so much information out for ballerinas, like how they should squat so they can jump high, how they should um, do deep lunges so they can you know, do whatever else they need to do. So I think that part is lacking a little bit in Gathak. And I don't think it's given the importance in itself because we've seen elder gurus and people who have actually sustained their practice. They're pretty strong. Um, They have no injuries. And if they do, they're not saying it or they're just dealing with it. And they do the physical therapy and they're moving on. And so Right now, what I'm doing for myself is I'm following a workout plan. I'm also changing the way I'm eating. Um, I'm just kind of taking a step back. And if I'm not doing excessive riyas, that doesn't mean I'm off my body. I'm continuously moving it. I'm looking into what modern contemporary dancers in the States are doing. Um, So my biggest uh, focus right now is my core. And how can I just make my core so strong that... You know, and and really be aware that as I'm doing a tora or tukra or even my tatkar, like just engage my core. So then wherever my injuries are in my body, that I'm not overworking those parts. Um, And I'm also I also like a part of just taking care of the body is taking care of your your brain, right? Your mental health. So I meditate at least once or twice a day. And it's like now it's like a there's no way you cannot meditate. You have to. You just have to. It's like. Um, my dad and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, meditation, working out, eating well, the, this is all um, the premium you pay on this fake, on this like invisible insurance. Like this is all what you're doing for insurance that your body is going to be fine through the rest of your life because that's what we want, right? As it is, we're all suffering in so many ways. So now these are little things that you have to consciously invite into your life to better it. And I'm not speaking just as a dancer. Like this is how I want this. I also use my dance to then inspire non-dancers. Like just because I'm a dancer doesn't mean I have to be strong. You you know, I like, it's not only a dancer who needs to be physically, mentally strong, but can you imagine if everybody was doing this type of self-work, then maybe there wouldn't be a need of all the, all the dance works I'm creating, right. Or that others are creating to build awareness for communities. Um, so it's, it's, it's such a, it's interesting within the vessel, like from the vessel comes so much that we, um, I mean, it's, it's endless. It's like this interconnected web. That's just extremely endless. I can go on and on. Uh, so Barkhadi, my, uh, coming to my last question, what would you like your impact to be on the world of Kathak? That's a great last question. 
I think about this often. And then, of course, I also release the thought of it as well. Um, so I don't get lost in dreaming of what I imagine. I think if I can offer my authentic self completely uh, to my art practice, that is what's going to eventually influence, be my contribution. Just being who I am is going to be my contribution to the art form. What that means is if I feel a way of moving or a way of creating with the use of this medium, that is what is going to impact it. If I try to do what others are doing and you know, in this way or that way, I think that is not going to be my biggest contribution. It's just coming back to who the authentic Barakha is. What are her thoughts? What influences her to create Kathak in this, like create and expand Kathak movement in this way? That is what I hope my contribution can be. At the end of the day, the art form itself is so big. It's so much bigger than who we are as the artist. I almost feel it's, it's kind of based in ego for me to say, here's what I've done to, you know, contribute or impact the art. Um, I think I have to, I look at it in the way of like, what has this art given to me in my life? Kathak has allowed me to expand into my vastness, which is what it is. Kathak is vast. The art in general is such a vast form of movement, being and thinking. Um, if I can just leave that behind for others to then step into that, again, putting it into the other and putting the art back out is what I hope my contribution is going to be. Yes, of course, the, the the mind also wants, the heart also wants an institution be put into place, be created, an empire to be created where, you know, it, it stays on forever, like Martha Graham Dance Company and whatnot. But at the end of the day, how many people have I touched and influenced in the way the art has influenced me is what I hope to leave behind in general. Very, very interesting. <laughs> and to the thing, Barghadi, uh, I really like how you talk about Kathak and it's, yeah, and so it makes sense. Cause when I, when I was doing this interview and the structuring it, I reached out to a couple of people we both know yeah. and everyone was in awe of you and just gushing and just like, awesome this, awesome that. So it was fun. And now I get it. So yeah, thank you for coming on this. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for wanting to take a deeper dive into me and other artists as well who are trying to do this work.